they're doing it. Hi. Hi. Okay. Uh, well, this is me, my parents, and Liam Neeson. Where we watch movies with Liam Neeson in them and discuss how much peril he's in. That's true. That's what we do. That's, that's it. We're done. Bye. Uh, no, <laughs> you have to introduce oh, yourself. Yeah. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm Carrie. And Patrick is not here tonight. He has a, you know, an important city guy meeting. I think they're talking about chickens tonight, and I'm not making that up. Yeah, he's got one of them real jobs where he has to do stuff. That's true. So that's all right. So uh, this is our unscripted podcast where we we watch movies that have Liam Neeson in them, and we talk about how much peril he's in. And we're his start- character. Yeah, we're starting to run down the list a little bit, and I was scrolling through Amazon Prime, which we're yeah. not we're not sponsored by Amazon, and I don't think they would even consider sponsoring us. However, boy, Amazon Prime has a lot of movies. You know what? So that's where we get a lot of ours from if we can't get them from the library. Uh, right. And scrolling through, I was looking for one particular one that we'll get to eventually, hopefully, and I saw this one. It's called Leap of Faith, and I thought. Oh, we haven't watched that one yet. And Mom says... It's not on the list. Uh, and I thought, what? And I look. Apparently, when I was pruning the list, I had determined with exactly zero research <laughs> that this film probably did not contain three scenes with Liam Neeson and therefore was not worth our time. We were wrong. We were wrong. He was in at least three scenes. Uh, and, of course, we've had the opposite, uh, that poor movie with Russell Crowe, where he's bad at crime, <laughs> that you won't hear us talk about, because Liam Neeson was in one scene of that movie, but we watched it anyways. Uh, anyways, uh, Leap of Faith, 1992. This is the third movie from 92 that he's been in, that we've talked about. This is a young Liam Neeson. He's a young man. And, you, and ladies, if you want to see him shirtless, watch all the way to the end. Yeah, That's all we have to say about that. I... Would you like me to start with a brief synopsis of of Ebert's three star review of this film? I think you should go with with some of that. Yes. All right. Let's hear some. Leap of Faith is the first movie to reveal the actual methods used by some revivalists and faith healers to defraud their unsuspecting congregations. Earlier movies, from features like Elmer Gantry and Euphoria to the documentary Marjorie have an equally jaundiced view of barnstorming evangelists, but this is the first expose of the high-tech age showing how electronics and computers are used to fabricate miracles on demand. Wow. Uh, he. This wasn't it, purported to be a documentary. No, it definitely type. wasn't. But uh, there's, you know, details, details, details. And there was a, a con and fraud consultant. Which I'll get to once I switch to Wikipedia, because okay. it lives in there. <laughs> uh, the one thing I am noting uh, from the review is, maybe the ending is seen as open, I see it as inconclusive, a cop-out. Which I could understand. Right, but I also think they needed to wrap up the film. They so. did, it seemed a little harsh. Whatever. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of people in this one. Uh, the guy you're talking about, the con and fraud consultant, mm-hmm. is... Ricky Jay. I don't know who that is. In a 1993 article of the New Yorker called Perhaps the Most Gifted Sleight of Hand Artist Alive. Well, and Steve Martin is a really yeah. gifted magician Ricky as well. Ricky Jay is a stage magician and actor. Wow. Known for card tricks, card throwing, memory feats, and stage patter. His hmm. acting credits include The Prestige, Mystery Men, Heist, Boogie Nights, Tomorrow Never Dies. Like I've seen, I, I'm sure I've seen him in movies huh. before. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh oh, he was the subject of an episode of PBS's American Masters. 
making him the only magician on okay. that series. I was just watching American Masters today about Joseph Pulitzer. Maybe I'm going to have to look up that guy. Uh, other things that are important before we get into the people in it, mm-hmm. the places. Yeah, where was this filmed? So the film... It purports to be in Kansas. purports to be in Kansas, and it was pretty flat. I've been to central Kansas. Yeah. It, did it look like central Kansas? Yes. All right. I've did, been to Panhandle of Oklahoma. Cool. Did it also look like Texas? Well, it's just, it. well, <laughs> you get up to the Panhandle, and that's Texas. It's all flat. Right. It was filmed in Groom, Claude, and Tulia, Texas. Well, there was a Groom school district bus. There was. That yep. was actually used. Yep. It was Though parts of the movie were filmed in Plainview. Sure. Where the town water tower still has the fictional town mascot painted on it. Oh, I fun. looked it up. They got rid of it in 2016. Oh, ha, 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 ha. But they actually put up a fake school mascot on the actual water tower uh-huh. in the actual town. And they kept it. And they left it there because they're like, eh, who cares? Well, and people probably would come to see yeah. it. That would be their claim to fame. Yep. Uh, they made a musical of this film in 2010. That's weird. I mean, there's a lot of music in it. It's not that weird. No. Yeah. Uh, and then... I mean, because the choir. Yeah. Now, the list of people appearing in this film is actually quite extensive. We shall begin with... Starting with Steve Martin. You know, famed thespian Stephen Martin. Yes, true. Uh, As I've done in the past for people that mom might know, can you name for me the top, his top four on IMDb? Here's a hint. You mean Steve Martin? Steve Steve Martin. Here's a hint. They are all as a writer, though I believe he is also the main star in all of the movies. One of them you'll get for free. Well, Roxanne. You got that one for free. Um, I, I mean, you mean I, well, it, and SNL is not on there? SNL is not, it's not, IMDb's like top known for mm-hmm. is not necessarily only his things that mm-hmm. you would know him best for. It's like in aggregate, which things are the most popular. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to guess. LA Story. I don't know that I know that one. 91. He wrote and starred in that one. The Jerk. Which I mentioned during this film because yep. I thought he acted... Like that Very character. Much so. And, to everyone's dismay, the Pink Panther movie. Oh, dear. Yeah. He's been in lots of stuff. Sure. Uh, SNL, uh, yeah, that's... Re- SNL's I mean, right I was there. a teenager when he was yeah. on SNL. That's how old I am, people. It's true. Walk Like an Egyptian? <gasps> oh, my goodness. That's I'm, like... He was if we had to pick a the wild one thing, and crazy guy. I, yeah. mm-hmm. The most recent thing I saw him in, mm-hmm. and not necessarily recent by release... But I recently watched the Looney Tunes live-action movie, where oh. he plays the bad guy. He's the chairman of Acme, Inc. Oh, dear. He's, it's, it's not a good movie, and I don't recommend it personally. Sure. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's been slowing down a little bit. Well, because he's had other pursuits. Yeah. Other. But Steve Martin is one of them, you know, national treasures. Uh, he's gotten awards up and down. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So he's a pretty cool guy. Uh, next up, his assistant in the movie, Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger, uh, who of her top things, the only one I recognize by name is Terms of Endearment. What was? Uh, she was in one of those. Um, she was in another film that was really popular. That, in the that 80s doesn't and help 90s. me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, in the 90s, 80s or 90s, 89th. Officer and a Gentleman. Yes. There you go. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. in that one. Right. And Urban Cowboy with John Travolta. Yes. So uh, she was, she had a pretty hot streak there. Yeah. So she was probably, she looked like she was coming off her hot streak <laughs> into the 90s. I, uh, the, there was a quote unquote love interest in that it was the girl which Steve Martin 
was spending time with aside from his assistant. Well, he was always attempting to endear himself to the local yep. ladies. Which is uh, Lolita Davidovich. Uh, she, you wouldn't necessarily recognize her from lots of things. But she's a working actress. She is a working actress, and she is uh, Blondie in Adventures in Babysitting, oh. which is a movie that people have heard of. Uh, next up on our list, Mr. Loaf himself. Yeah, Mr. Loaf. Uh, I did actually pull Loaf, up... Loaf, comma, meat. I did pull up his Wikipedia page because yes. uh, his IMDb does not do him justice. Which would be true. Uh, his Bad Out of Hell trilogy of albums sold more than 50 million worldwide. It's still selling a couple hundred thousand annually. That's crazy. Stayed on the charts for over nine years. That's so crazy. Uh, he got a Grammy for... Do you know what his his song is that oh, everyone knows? You're going to have to just help me. i do anything for love. Oh my goodness. But I won't do that. But I won't do that's, that. that that's, his, mm-hmm. that's his one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has more good songs, but... Uh, yes, so Meatloaf is in this movie. He, his people. most notable film roles are as Eddie in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which, that takes me yeah. right back to and being 18 years old. He is, his name is Robert Paulson from Fight Club. Ah. He is the one whose name is Robert Paulson. Uh, which, those of you who've seen that movie and remember mm-hmm. it will know that everyone knows his name is Robert Paulson. In any case, Meatloaf is... Uh, I always thought of him as I didn't think that he was such an actor, and it turns out, yeah, he's right. so he's done some things, and yeah. well, and I think this the, the bus driver, you know, piano player for the band. Yeah, it was a role that he played very well. Right, he didn't have to do a whole lot, and what he did, he did well. Yes, it was believable. Yeah. he uh, didn't. It didn't look like they stuck him in for a cameo, and he didn't really make it work. I mean, I think it was believable. Yeah, I. Also in this one, in a fairly minor role, but uh, it turned out to be a pretty big deal eventually, is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, died at the age of 46? 40, yeah, 46 in 2014. Uh, he had just come off of being in the Hunger Games movies as mm-hmm. one of the uh, chief bad guys, if I'm remembering it correct. I might be wrong. Don't crucify me on the internet, people. Uh, he was also Mr. Capote in that movie. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. done a lot of stuff as well. He's a busy actor. Busy actor. Mm-hmm. If we scroll back. Right. Uh-oh. He was a busy actor, but his first role was in 1989. So he was a fresh face. Huh. Uh, he was in Law and Order, an episode of Law and Order before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, this was really his... Be, this was I mean I wouldn't say a big role but this right. was before he was a known name so that's a pretty big deal so who was the young the young boy in this Boyd role? the actor his name is Lucas Haas mm-hmm. and he has done some things in his life uh, since this he was in Mars Attacks okay which we all like he was in Inception which I don't 100% remember his role mm-hmm. in that one but he yeah. but I believe it he was in Widows. Oh. As I believe the young man whose wife ended up uh, hiding Mr. Neeson. Oh. I believe that's who he was in that. And we will speak of him again, for he's in a film we have yet to watch. <gasps> we only have a few films on our list. He's in Tooken. Oh, he's in Tooken. <laughs> he's in the one that Liam Neeson isn't in, <laughs> that we're going to watch anyways. Oh, so be good. that's going to be, be interesting. It'll be fun. Uh, and then before we get into the movie, 
this one being about a you know gospel revival mm-hmm. group, they had to have a revival choir, and therefore it behooved me to look up both Ricky Dillard, mm-hmm. the choir director, who I started his career in 1987, uh, re- re- released his first gospel album in '91, charted at number 15, and was nominated for Best Contemporary R&B Gospel Album. Wow. So he was an actual... Good for him. Guy. And then the Angels of Mercy Choir. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, maybe they're really an actual choir. No, they are not an actual choir. They are a collection of who's who in the gospel singing community with a bit of a choir to fill in for them. Uh, from an LA Times article, uh, contemporary to the time, in from 92. Mm-hmm. Rather than settle for the usual loose Hollywood approximation of what a bona fide black choir might sound like, uh-huh. the producers determined to get the real article. Thus, the Angels of Mercy, as the choir in the film is known, includes a virtual who's who of gospel, including choir master Edwin Hawkins, who pioneered pop gospel crossover with the 1969 top five hit Oh Happy Day, wow. and singer Albertina Walker, founder of the legendary Caravans and widely revered as the Queen of Gospel. Other stars of the genre, both rising and established, from veteran Dolores Hall to hot newcomer Ricky Dillard, are featured in the film and on the gospel-dominated soundtrack. Cool. I shall continue a little bit. The film's featured gospel performers claim that the Holy Spirit made frequent visitations. You should have seen the director trying to yell cut, and wouldn't nobody stop shouting. I said to the crew, y'all film that, that's real, because the Spirit came to them. We got to shouting and carrying on and praising God. We weren't just performing, we weren't acting, we were really having service. Okay, that's pretty cool. And it it then behooves us to go back to as we were watching this and thinking, oh, there's no way that, it's so sacrilegious, there's no way they get an actual gospel choir in to do this. And the answer is, yeah, the movie's sacrilegious, but they're like, well, if you're going to sacrilege all over our movie, we might as well get some praise out of it. And they just went whole hog on it. Uh-huh. So that's kind of which, neat. Which I think is absolutely amazing and wonderful. Oh, yeah. Which I think then it also, uh, it uh, that knowledge then strengthens the end of the film. Yes. Which, that, unfortunately, you wouldn't get watching it normally. And especially correct. back in the 90s, you wouldn't have that lookup unless you had the LA Times. Right, right. But now that we've talked about who's in this movie for so long, now mm-hmm. we can talk about the movie. And unfortunately... It's not that it's a good or a bad movie. It's mm-hmm. just kind of not a whole lot. Well, I think that the 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 overall storytelling, uh, like uh, like uh, in the Ebert review, it said that it it felt like the the ending was a cop out, yeah. or that it or we thought it maybe yeah. ended abruptly. Yeah, and so it didn't feel like a nice neat package of a story. So we'll start off, and they establish Steve Martin's character really well. I think the opening scene of him mm-hmm. establishing his character and the people around him, mm-hmm. that works really well. And it mm-hmm. gets across in a matter of a few minutes that Steve Martin's character is a manipulating asshole. He's a charlatan first class. Yep. And everyone around him is on board. And he has an, an entourage that he employs. Yep. Gainfully and, employs. Yep. And... It's heavily implied to start mm-hmm. and then becomes quite apparent later that his preferred method of charlatanry mm-hmm. is uh, plopping down a tent and having 
gospel revival service right. uh, through which he either cold reads the room, which I we saw mm-hmm. a one shot of a when he was switching the paint and it mm-hmm. zoomed in on what he left out of the box. And one of them was... His uh, mother was a mentalist. Mother was a mentalist. Uh, and he's doing cold reads. They're doing educated guesses. They're doing research mm-hmm. beforehand and feeding him information right. in order to give him legitimacy and then people give money because mm-hmm. praise Jesus mm-hmm. and then they escape town because praise the American dollar. Sure. And unfortunately for them, their bus, their, one of their trucks breaks down in middle of nowhere, Kansas, which is all of Kansas. Well, no. Well, once you get past. You have to go towards the city of Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in any case, they're stuck in this town with the most cynical, down to earth, no fun buzzkill sheriff you've ever seen. And this sheriff is the tallest man in Kansas. <laughs> For we finally get to see the Liam Neeson. We do. And mm-hmm. he informs these, you know, ne'er-do-wells that their shenaniganery <laughs> is not to be tolerated in this small town of people who are going through a drought and losing their jobs. And they go, yeah, but, I mean, we're here. And the guy says, well, hey, I might as well, might as well do give something them about it. some entertainment. Yeah. And so he starts entertaining, and it works. It's, if someone, I said this at least once, if someone were to improv this well, with, like, actually improv this well, I would be impressed and probably give them money. It, it seemed like it was a, an R&B pop choir rap battle. Yeah. I know that all the script was written, and somebody probably had to sit there for a while coming up with the right words, but... Dang, they came up with the right words. Yeah. They did a good job. Yeah. That was cleverly written. Now, the subplot of this one, which there's two main subplots, and that's actually more of what the real plot is. Because the real plot doesn't really go anywhere. I think that's maybe that's it right there, is that the thing that we assume is the real plot really doesn't go anywhere. Because we assume the real plot is Steve Martin is a dick, is you know, a douche canoe, mm-hmm. and we want to see him get his comeuppance. And that just never happens. And it doesn't happen. It does not happen. We are sorely disappointed. Meanwhile, two good things happen in subplots. Mm -hmm. Two subplots have good resolution and the main plot has none. And the subplots take a while to get going. So we're kind of confused about what's the plot. Well, are they actually subplots? Yeah, it takes a while Mm -hmm. for us to get there. Mm -hmm. So one of them is his assistant who uh, stays back in the van Mm -hmm. with computers and a wireless mic to feed him information. Uh, she starts, I want, I'm, let's use the word flirting with the sheriff. Well, that's an awfully nice way of putting it. She was, begins flirting with the sheriff and... It sounds like this is what she usually does yeah. on the road. Yeah, is she, this dis- is her she job. distracts the cops. Or gets on their good side so that they won't investigate further. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. starts getting hecka attached real quick. Yeah, he, and, and Mr. Tallest Man in Kansas Law Enforcement seems to get attached really yeah, fast. but... He doesn't give up his ground. And you'd think that her, after years of doing this, mm-hmm. wouldn't give up her ground either. Yeah. But she falls for him pretty good and, like, switches her tune. And Whatever. That, like, it, it kind of worked, but it, in retrospect, nah. it seemed like whatever. The subplot that actually I think is more interesting, because it's the one that affects our main character the mm-hmm. most is the young boy Boyd, which is difficult to say. It's a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. The boy Boyd. Uh, he was hit 
by a drunk trucker truck driver. Truck driver. Well, their whole family was, mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. him and his mom and dad were. And mom and dad died in the car crash, mm-hmm. and his legs have been. Not they never. They never explained exactly what, but definitely legs don't work. He's got crutches. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he went to a preacher, and the preacher man was like, "I'm gonna heal your legs," and his legs didn't get healed because. Mm-hmm. And the preacher blamed it on the boy's lack of faith. Yep, and he said, "If you only believed, mm-hmm. then it would be true." And now the kid's like, "Well." I guess I gotta believe harder. Mm-hmm. And that's been his life, basically. Not that he only goes to church and things like that, mm-hmm. but he's stopped having faith in medicine and doctors mm-hmm. because none of them could fix it. Mm-hmm. All he knows is that faith will get him there eventually. Right. And his sister, who Steve Martin is trying to get trying on to her, hit on, trying because... to hit on, get on her good side, you know, mm-hmm. doing, you know, weird show off things around her which like I don't like he's in 7th grade like I don't think it would work what are you doing uh she is very protective of this brother sure. obviously and for the right reason yeah and over the course of the movie Steve Martin starts being honest with the kid he's the only person that he's really being honest with he's telling the kid God's not gonna fix this if you haven't tried everything that man's got do that first and it's one of those real things that, you know, we you you hear the phrase bandied around, God moves in mysterious ways. And sometimes, if we're going to be honest, sometimes those mysterious ways are penicillin. <laughs> Penicillin's pretty mysterious. We don't know how we found it. It was an accident. But sometimes right. that's it. Not every solution to a problem is a miracle. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's hard work. And Sometimes it's a life preserver. Yeah. And... That's the kind of message that he gives to the kid. And the kid basically doesn't believe him. Sure. He's like, but you're the reverend man. And you had this miracle tent. Mm -hmm. That means that God works, right? And he goes, no. No, I'm a fake. Yeah, no, I'm a fake. Stop listening to me. And the kid's like, but you're doing the thing. And it's very weird to see that this is what breaks him. That that crisis of faith is what breaks him. It's not the... It's not the law enforcement coming in and literally reading off a charges list against him right. because he turned that around in a matter of, what, two minutes tops? Right. right. It was really, that was some good work there. Mm-hmm. But it's the kid. And spoiler alert, I don't know where you're going to find this one. I don't think this is going to be at the library. You'd have to have Amazon Prime for this one. I, you know what? We didn't even look to see if it was at the library. We could have looked. Because it was not on my list. Because it was not on the list. But... I feel like we can spoil bits on this one because it's not like I don't think people should be you know don't bu- busting down Amazon Prime to watch this one. Mm-hmm. You can. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a but bad movie, but it's not the greatest either. The I was not expecting the plot twist that happened when we were getting to the end because the kid shows up to the miracle tent and is like, "Sweet Reverend, heal me," and the Reverend goes, ha, "No, I'm I'm all." All out of Jesus today. Bye, folks. Well, and he even had mentioned to his assistant at one point in time that their insurance policy was to say to somebody that you just don't have enough faith. Yeah. And he, and realized, he was not going to say that to this kid. He was not going to say to the kid because he had started to care. And caring is the... Pre- that's the one thing you can't do when you're pulling a con is you can't give a crap. That's right. Yeah. And... Not that we are experts yeah, in con. Not that we're experts in cons. Uh, I'm really trust not, me. I'm not good at that. No. Anyways, the, basically the crowd is 
asking for an encore. They, they, they're asking, they're chanting for Freebird, basically. <laughs> and Meatloaf is like, I only have this piano. I cannot play Freebird. Uh, <laughs> so he comes back out and he's like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I got to make sure I have all my defenses up. Mm-hmm. And so the kid comes on stage and he points at Liam Neeson. And he's like, he's going to blame the, he's going to blame the, the lack sheriff. of healing. Yep. And he's not going to blame it on the kid because the kid believes and everyone else in the tent believes, but he knows that the sheriff doesn't believe because mm-hmm. the sheriff is no fun. Well, he's, yeah. So he's ready to blame it not working on the sheriff. Yep. And then it works. And then the healing happens. And then the healing works. And everyone is exploding because this is amazing. And basically he stumbles out of the tent and he's not sure what to think. The Steve Martin character is broken then. Yeah. What do you do when you fake it so long that it starts working? Did it work? What's going on? And at that point, I was not sure where how the movie could continue. Right. Because there wasn't much movie left. Right. Well, and then it begged the question was, you know, was the hustler being hustled? Yeah. And they actually said it out loud mm-hmm. because he's trying to rationalize what's happening. He's thinking, okay, so we show up into town and this, you know, lady and her younger brother see me and they're like, ha, we're going to make a fool out of him quick. Pretend like your legs don't work. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But... Getting like nothing, it doesn't. Nothing is said about how it ends. It just kind of ends. It just ended. Yeah, too quickly. Everything wrapped up really fast. And it wasn't even necessarily wrapped up. It just right. kind of ended. Mm-hmm. And it ended with his character driving away, not learning any, not necessarily learning anything, running away from his problems, mm-hmm. and abandoning the people who, who were care, relying yeah. on him. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we don't know what happened to the boy. Yeah. So. So I, Mr. Ebert was right. Mr. Ebert was right. The ending did suck. <laughs> uh, now that we think about it. But yeah. I'll, um, I so don't, then we can just skip to the peril meter. We need to talk about the butterflies a little bit. Oh well, the butterflies. That just was a little a, bit. There's a they had a butterfly wrangler who uh, Liam Neeson clapped his hands and Tinkerbell was real. I uh, and <clears throat> then butterflies happened and it was. And they, why did they put that in the film? I because they needed to show something beautiful in this barren wasteland, and also butterflies are cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, there happened to be a you know an unexplained mass you know sea migration, but it was butterflies yeah. in Kansas, <laughs> and I and the first shot was swallowtail butterflies, and then a, second one was monarchs. Was, the second shot was monarchs, and and I know my butterflies people, yeah. so. That's just weird. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what was going on with that. It it was definitely in the movie. We were flummoxed. Yeah. Uh, other than that, like, costumes were fine. His shiny jacket was real shiny. It seemed like it, it, it looked like the 90s. Yeah, it was pretty 90s. It was big hair, flower print dresses. It was the 90s. Yeah. Uh, if we're skipping ahead to the peril business, there's going to be none. There's none. There's none. Like, he doesn't even get into a fist fight with Steve Martin. No. He just kind of tells him to stop being an idiot. There, You know, it's intimated that he slept with that woman. Now, she could, you know, she's on the road a lot. She slept with saying. a lot of people. That's what I'm so saying. It wasn't, perhaps it wasn't that intimated was... so much as he was naked in bed and looking at her out the window playing with butterflies. And she was wearing his shirt. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, that just... 
says that there was something, but he you know, he could have gotten some really nasty diseases from her because she's like a carnival worker. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be, that's peril in a different kind of sort that we've never talked about on this podcast. Wow. Every, let me see if we've I'm We've not doing, talked about let, STDs before. Let me see if I'm doing my math correctly. I was in three films in 1992. We yeah. have watched all three of them. Yes. I'd like you to guess... At the combined peril score of all three films. Zero. Point five. <laughs> it's one of our point fives is in there. We will never do that again, we'll never do that. There's we a promise. nine point five on the list, too. Oh, but we are so bad. We're really bad at this. Uh, anyways, that concludes this one. The yeah. list is getting shorter. Right. Uh, once we actually run out of list, I'm, we will come up with a plan of what we're going to do with our lives. Well, we will we'll wrap it up neatly. Yep. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.